Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host. You're listening to episode 162. My last guest, I hope you enjoyed, Tracy Hickman, a great friend, and he's got a great project out there on Kickstarter, and he brought a lot of good information and advice to the campaign. Also, my last, uh, one of my last episodes, I talked a lot about uh, getting through the dip, right? There's that down period. Your Kickstarter campaign launched, then you hit this slow period. You've got to push through it. Or you've got to reevaluate, decide if you actually are on a path to success, and possibly cancel, which I always recommend if you're even doubting whether your Kickstarter campaign is going to succeed. Don't let it just draw, draw it out to the end. Cancel, relaunch, reset, and, and, and go on and push on to glory and victory. This episode, my guest is somebody I invited on the show because they did things a little backwards. They approached their campaign um, and did some things that allowed them to find success, but not in the traditional way. So I thought there would be a great way for them to come and share that. So I've invited Jeremy Burnham on the show, whose project is Stack and Attack, which is currently running on Kickstarter. Jeremy, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. So let's talk about your project real quick so that people understand that. You have a, uh, a campaign running right now, and it's a uh, – is it classified as a board game? Is that how you classify it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a board game. It, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's a deck-building game that comes with, uh, with board components. So I, I would consider it a light strategy game. Okay, and you have it. It's been, uh, it's been doing very well. You've actually already funded on Kickstarter in your first couple of weeks, and uh, it's been out there. So you did some lead-up. Let's talk about – you know what? Before we do, let's actually talk about what, what is the game, Stack and Attack. Give uh, everybody, our listeners, a quick overview of what this game is. Yeah, so uh, so Stack and Attack is a uh, is a kind of a gateway deck building game with a couple of interesting twists to it. So the premise is that each player is a uh, <clears throat> is a Stone Age Neanderthal, and they're trying to stack stone towers to the sky to appease uh, the ancient gods. So each turn you have a certain amount of energy, and you can choose whether you want to spend that energy gathering new rocks from the quarry, stacking the rocks that you have, or taking the rocks you have and throwing them at some other player's tower to try to knock it over. So it's a, a kind of a quick, fun, light strategy game. It plays in about 30 minutes with, uh, with two to four players. Um, and it's a, it's a fun play with, uh, with casual gamers and with families. Um, and it, uh, it's, it's interesting um, it, within the genre because it, um, it has a kind of unique card stacking mechanism where it's entirely card-driven um, as you build up the height of your tower. And also because it has some interesting limitations about when you can reshuffle your collection of cards and what it means to add cards both to your tower and also to your deck as well. So there's, you don't actually have rocks in there that I get to stack on top of each other? Unfortunately not. It's, uh, it's entirely card-driven. That's the stretch goal. If we hit $100,000, you're putting real rocks in there. Oh, absolutely. All right. All right. That, <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll work. So this game, what's interesting is that you have brought this game to Kickstarter. It has funded. It's uh, going along at a pretty good clip. But this game... It already exists before you launched it on Kickstarter, doesn't it? Didn't it? Whatever the proper tense is for that question. <laughs> no, Richard, that's, that's absolutely right. So what we, what we did with this game before we put on Kickstarter is we actually we, we went and we printed 100 copies um, in a fairly small U.S. manufacturing company. And uh, with those 100 copies, we, we basically wanted to use those because this, this is our first game. This is our, our first time working through the production process. So we wanted to get the experience of, uh, of producing a game uh, before Kickstarter so that we knew what type of problems we might run into down the road and hopefully you know, be able to solve some of those problems along the way. 
And also, we um, we got those games in hand because we wanted to get some some real honest feedback from from two particular sources. One, we wanted to get feedback from retail stores. We wanted to know the answer to the question of would this game ever sell if it sat on a retail store shelf um, before our Kickstarter campaign. And we also wanted to get a lot of reviewers to take a look at this game, more than just two or three. So we didn't want to just have one or two prototypes floating around. We wanted to have a couple of, or a lot of, finished games uh, in circulation um, to collect a lot, a large body of um, honest feedback about our product. Couldn't you have just done a print and play like so many people do and just put it out there for a while and let people uh, download it? Print. I mean, Cards Against Humanity does that for their card game. You know, that, that, that's certainly true. Although what we found when we started talking to reviewers, particularly this being our, our first game and not really being established within the industry, is that <clears throat> a lot of people were very hesitant to uh, to take the time to uh, to print up a game, um, to cut out all the pieces, to put it all together, to review for us. And uh, we also felt, on top of that hesitancy, we also felt that people wouldn't get the full effect of, uh, of what our game might look like uh, in its in all of its glory, essentially. <laughs> So we instead we decided to print up, uh, like I said, 100 copies of the game, of of a quality that's that's almost as high quality as our, our final production was going to be. Now, having done that before myself, that's not cheap. No, that's. Oh, go ahead. Those copies, when you order those copies, um, did you do it through somebody like Game Crafter, or did you do it through somebody else that uh, that specializes in card production? It, it was it was a smaller company that specializes in car production and uh, and it and it wasn't cheap. Um, it's uh, it was a situation where we would we basically bought a hundred copies of this game at at a certain price and then we went to the retail stores and sold them to the retail stores at a lower price, significantly lower price than what we uh, what we paid for them. Originally. You took so, you <laughs> you you printed them out at a certain price point and then sold them to the stores at below your cost. Yes, so it's it's definitely not a a long term viable. No, that sounds like a dot com startup here in Silicon Valley a strategy, yeah. which we know how that worked out. So, but the, the couple of things here that, that you were doing. One is that had you heard of Kickstarter at this point? So I, I think we had we had heard of it. Um, I don't think we we realized um, the the power how accessible it was, and and I mean I, I think we knew in our mind that we wanted to do a Kickstarter down the road. Um, but we, uh, along the way of, of talking with these retailers and talking with these reviewers, we were able to collect a lot of very valuable information um, from the gaming community to give us a better sense of, of how we should uh, go about pitching this and, and framing this uh, via Kickstarter launch. So I think that having those games in hand kind of helped um, us understand that this was the best way to go uh, for us as opposed to trying to self-publish. So when you went into the stores to take your game into the stores. I mean, we're talking literally, you're cold calling. You're walking into a game store, knock, knock, knock. I've got this game. Here it is. Will you sell it in your store? And, and, and you weren't, obviously, we've already determined that you weren't doing this for the money. Uh, you were looking to recover some of your cost. What were you hoping to learn by doing this? Well, we, uh, we actually end up learning a lot. Um, we end up learning <clears throat> a lot about the different distribution channels uh, that, that stores go through uh, when they end up adding games to their shelves. We also um, learned a lot about what store owners think sells games. So, I mean, of course, they're looking for games that have very high ratings on sites like BoardGameGeek.com. Um, they're also looking for games that are visually appearing when they sit on a shelf. So I think us taking these games to these stores, um, talking with the store owner about um, you know, 
what type of box are you looking for, what size box, where might you put this, where might you sell this in a store, um, helped open us, open us up to a lot of information we previously um, hadn't been exposed to before. But, okay, so this might seem, okay, I can understand those are things that you learned after the fact, mm-hmm. but were those things that you were anticipating learning before you spent, and I'm guessing you spent thousands of dollars here to produce, uh, that would be my guess, at least at least over a thousand dollars to produce this artwork, printing, and now what were you? Those were the things you learned, but were, is that what you were looking to learn, or were there other reasons that you were putting the games, trying to get the games into the store? Am I making sense? Oh, oh, oh yeah, a- absolutely. There's the, there's the things that you learn after the fact. Oh, look what we learned, but there's also things that you're hoping to learn that motivate you to actually do those actions in the first place. Well, I think I think before we actually did that, we we actually didn't we didn't realize the distribution channel that existed, right? Um, and and we we actually thought people legitimately went into stores and just sold their games, um, right so, there. So the if that's what they did, that's what you're doing, right? So but we wanted to to give that a shot, and we knew that. I mean, we had we had walked into stores cold without a game and asked people questions, and we didn't feel like we were getting honest feedback from them, right? Because the, you know how many people walk into a game store and ask, start talking about, oh, I got this game. And they're like, exactly. uh-huh. yeah, uh-huh, right, okay, <laughs> go get in line. Got so, it. So I can understand that. This brought you a sense of legitimacy. I guess you were hoping to, in some ways, to plant seeds, because if the game got on the shelf and it sold, then they would turn around and then want to sell it again, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, it, you got lucky, a couple of things that helped you get lucky, as we were talking earlier. Um, you happened to be in the New England area, and so as you were knocking doors, going around like a couple of missionaries for a, for a church with your... Did you have ties and white shirts? And No, you probably didn't do it that... No, not, not that formal, no. Not that formal. You're going and you're knocking on doors, and you got lucky because one of the... Tell me who you, you ran into. So we ended up visiting uh, Mirrored Games uh, in, in Salem, New Hampshire. And uh, when we went to t- talk with the, uh, the folks that work there, um, the same individual that, uh, that runs Mirrored Games also runs Game Salute. And uh, basically, they, they looked at our game and they said, well, you know, what's your plan with this? What are you trying to do with it? And we said, okay, well, you know, we're thinking about, you know, doing a Kickstarter with this uh, particular game. And they said, well, as it turns out, uh, you know, we, have, we, we run Game Salute uh, as well, and we help people uh, with, their, uh, with their Kickstarter campaign. So that was kind of the way that we um, established our initial relationship uh, with the folks at uh, Game Salute. Which I think I can't overemphasize, and that is you didn't plan on running into them, but this is one of the things that happens, and I'm going to talk to the audience now, uh, our, our joint audience here who's listening, and that is one of the things, Jeremy, that you did that's going to pay off for you who's listening, and that is get out there. Start talking to people. Go on, online, go to your game store, go find local uh, design groups, create, start creating your own design group, whatever it takes to get out there because people will come out of the woodwork and suddenly will step up and become beneficial and helpful to you. Uh, it's happened to me. It's currently happening to me, as many of uh, you who are listening have stepped up to help me with this podcast. And Jeremy, in your case, it helped, helped with you. Just by the sheer act of taking those steps, you then encountered people who were in a position to help and, and gave that help freely, right? Well, that's certainly the case. And that's, and that's part of the nature of, of, of building a professional network, <clears throat> both in this industry and any industry, is that you, you don't necessarily know Who's going to be the people that are going to be there to help you when you really need the help? Or who, I mean, I think at, at times along the process, we thought that certain individuals would be of huge assistance to us, and, and we were wrong. And other times, we, we walked in there cold, not expecting to get much from the experience, and end up um, 
gaining a lot more than we thought we were going to get otherwise. Let's talk about how you got here, because uh, this is kind of fun, is that this kind of came out of a, you currently uh, attend school in the Massachusetts area, right? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, uh, this was a class project. And now, just to be, everybody to be clear, we're not talking high school here, okay? You, but you were in a, your business school in the, the Cambridge area, and you had a class project. What was that class project, and, and kind of what happened from that? Yeah, so it was basically a class on entrepreneurship. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the, the base of the class was that you know, each individual was on a team of six people, and you had to uh, start a business um, in, in a fairly short time period that would, uh, would ger- generate revenue. And, uh, and most of my classmates had, uh, had fairly lofty uh, ideas for all kinds of uh, e-businesses that were supposed to generate uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue over the course of a couple of years. And, uh, and we, I guess my team, we set our, our goals um, a little less lofty. Um, we, we, I personally, I've always wanted to make a, a board game. And uh, much like many independent game designers, I had been coming up with ideas for years and years and years and never acting on them, never commercialized, never kind of pushing them to the next level. Um, so this, this class gave me a wonderful opportunity uh, to take uh, this game and to uh, push it all the way through the, the design, prototyping, production, and then marketing process. I'm all in, in a fairly short period of time. And that's interesting that uh, it came out of a class. And, I, and I'm going to assume that all those lofty goals from your peers in their, uh, in their business class, I think you're probably much further along the process than they are. Oh, absolutely. In fact, um, from, my, from my particular section, which had uh, 15 different groups in it, um, our, our group by far, I think, had the, uh, the least aggressive uh, <laughs> financial projections at the beginning. And again, we were looking at numbers in the tens of thousands as opposed to tens of millions. But uh, the irony was is that amongst that group, we actually did better than any of other, other 15 groups in our section. Um, because at the end of the day, we had, a, we had a finished product in hand. It was available in stores um, in the Boston area, and we had sent out a number of copies uh, to reviewers. And we're getting a lot of very important critical feedback. And you did all of that in what kind of time frame? Uh, the whole thing. I mean, it, it ran from, uh, from January until May. So you're looking at a four-month uh, time period. And those hundred copies of the product that you created, uh, you, right now your project out there has attracted a couple of hundred backers, which is great for a fairly small, I'm going to, no offense taken, but fairly small, obscure game mm-hmm. in a flood of other games. You've attracted uh, you know, a couple of hundred backers. How much do you contribute that to the amount of effort and, the, and this development you did before the project started? I mean, there's no question in my mind that, um, that had, had we not um, printed this game up, had we not um, sent those copies to reviewers, I think we ended up sending somewhere between 30 and 40 copies um, to a whole host of different bloggers and, uh, and game reviewers. Um, and had we not generated that large body of, of positive press that, and as you mentioned, you know, we, we hit our, our goal uh, in, in the first 10 days. We still have about two weeks left to our, uh, to our campaign. Uh, and I think that, you know, given the nature of how many games come out on Kickstarter um, every single day, um, that we probably would have gotten lost. Uh, we probably would have been just another one of those card games um, uh, that pops up and no one's ever heard of and doesn't really have a following. Um, because we are, you know, we're, we're first-time designers. Um, we have a very limited resource base, and we're trying to uh, make a name for ourselves. So I think that, you know, that type of upfront investment is a, is a necessity uh, for, for first-time designers. And I... I recommend um, to other designers that live here in the Cambridge area to do something along the same lines. Make sure 
that you get your game out into as many hands as possible. And I think some people get scared because they're afraid of getting um, negative feedback. Right. But, wait, I think, wait, but you want that negative feedback. Oh, certainly. Certainly. You want, you want, you know, you want that negative feedback um, along the way. A, because it helps you craft a better game. And, and B, because it helps you better understand uh, who your target market really is. Right, who you can yeah. ignore, because all negative feedback is not created equal. Absolutely. <laughs> right, and some of that you have to ignore. Uh, we only have just a, a minute or two left. I wanted to um, just do a quick comment on your uh, kind of your stretch goals. Uh, you have stretch goals that are interesting, because right now you're moving towards the 200 Facebook likes, and then the next stretch goal is a dollar amount, and then the next stretch goal is a number of backers. What was your thought process behind that? So we wanted to get people engaged in as many different ways as we could. And we wanted to re- reward them um, for, for more than just adding more money to our project. Um, so we have a number of different, um, we have this cave writer, cave writer Facebook battle that we're getting very close with the Facebook likes. Um, <clears throat> we, we have a financial goal. We have a number of backers goals. We, we wanted to show to people that re- regardless of how that you interact with us and our product, that uh, we really appreciate you being involved, whether you're a a $1 back or a $100 back, or whether you're just a Facebook like and you occasionally post out to your friends and say, hey, check this out, or whether you're pledging to buy multiple copies of the game. At any point along the way, we, we love having you on board. That's something we wanted to try to show with these stretch goals. I think it's very creative. You guys have done a great job. Jeremy, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to share with my listeners kind of some of the strategies that you've pursued. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it, Richard. You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Jeremy Burnham, who's got a project out there called Stack and Attack, a uh, deck-building card game of the caveman nature. It looks like a lot of fun, and uh, he's shared some great insights about what he did before the project launched in order to be successful. Hopefully you've heard something here inspiring. I always do, and I want to uh, extend my appreciation to Jeremy for being on the show. Thanks for listening. Take care.